We get 150 inquiries every day, Alex, from that type of marketing that we do to introduce the wall printing and floor printing products to the American and South American and Canadian audiences. Serial entrepreneur Paul Barron has built a career of developing innovative products and turning those into profitable businesses. His current venture, The Wall Printer USA, manufactures vertical wall printers for business owners across the country, helping them establish their own unique brands in this space. I'm Alex Freeman, host of the Uplift Podcast, and today I'm talking to Paul about how to start a wall printing business from buying the machine to finding customers and growing a team. I'll also pick Paul's brain for insights that can apply to any business based on his decades of experience as an innovative entrepreneur. Ready to hear Paul's advice? Let's dive into this conversation. Paul, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and your audience. Awesome. Well, let's get started with with the, the beginnings of the wall printer. When did you start the company and what made you decide to go into this niche? The beginnings of the wall printer were really rooted back in about 2018, 2019, when I discovered the technology. The technology is vertical printing on any wall, indoors and outdoors, with a machine that is, I guess, more easily described as your desktop printer on steroids. Uh, Meaning by that, it will be an inkjet printer that's printing an image, a vector image file, meaning a digital image, not a PNG or a JPEG like you take with your phone, although you mm-hmm. can print with those images, but they don't enlarge to the size that many people might want on an image that they put onto a wall, like a mural or something. If you want to put your dog six feet by eight feet on your family room wall, you need something more graphically designed, uh, a digital image. And that is what our wall printer feeds off of and prints the best. And it's used for any wall surface, indoors or outdoors. It doesn't even have to be a smooth wall. It could be a a wall like a brick or stucco or garage door. Uh, It doesn't have to be smooth. It just has to be vertical. Now, how I got started in this in 2018-19 was discovered the technology by a a company that actually approached me. They're now a competitor of mine. Uh, They approached me and asked me to take their company and launch it in the United States. This might help your audience also, those that are entrepreneurs that just maybe want to keep themselves open for ideas and things like that, that may be of interest to them or to drive some passion in what they want to do with their lives. Me, I ask myself every day, what do I want to do when I grow up? Even though I'm 71 years old today, I've had about a couple of dozen businesses and mostly driven by foreign companies that have tried to launch their products here in the United States. And they needed somebody to help them find high value customers, partners, vendors, strategic relationships, something to grow their business, whether that be by revenue or by an exit path or manufacturing here in the United States. I always did that as a hired gun, so to speak, a commission salesperson. But I retired a couple of times and I said, if I was ever going to do this kind of work again, I wanted to do it for a company that I owned. So in 2019, a German company had approached me and they had a vertical printing machine. They wanted me to be a a salesperson for them to help grow the market here in the United States for a machine that I had never seen or heard about before. We could not make the deal I wanted because I wanted to buy into the company. I was so fascinated by it. And they just wanted me to be a salesperson. And I said, well, that's not for me. But when I stopped negotiating with them on that, I decided to do my homework and say, why haven't I seen anything like this before? And I found out that there were only about five companies, Alex, in the world that made this type of machine. They were all overseas from us here in the United States. There was this German company. There were two Chinese companies, an Indian company, an Australian company. So I went around to every one of them to discover what was good, what was bad, what was quality, what wasn't, what the opportunities would be for all of their solutions to this delivering artwork onto walls. And I found out that the German company was really an 
recent starter in this business, a Chinese company. One of the two was the originator of the technology. They had about 500 customers at the time, all confined into Southeast Asia, Europe a little bit, Middle East a little bit, uh, Russia a little bit. And they were doing very well and their customers were doing very well. Then there were three other companies and I found deficiencies in each one of them. And so I pursued a relationship with the originator of the technology. To this day, fast forward a little bit, from 2020, uh, late 2019, when I signed an agreement to take over and buy rights to all of North and South America from this company. And I also got involved in actually co-owning patents on the product, uh, ones that I thought were differentiating that would help our customers be more successful and differentiate ourselves from anything else out there. So now we're three years into it. Fast forward two years from August 2020, when we sold our first machine and territory, because that's our business model, to give people who are willing to take the risk on something new, we give them exclusive rights to a territory where we don't sell to anybody else in their geographic. So fast forward from August 2020, when we sold our first business, Alex, to somebody, now we have 100 customers. We're selling about uh, at least one to two a week now, machines and territory, putting people in business. We also, over the past two years, have created and developed a floor printing machine. So you can print on floors, logos, artwork, whatever you want on a tile or wood or cement, any type of a floor that was actually created because of people asking us to personalize parking spaces and garages. Now we're doing logos on basketball courts and other flooring materials. So that's where we are today. Now, you, you mentioned that uh, the way the, the business model works is that you you sell territories, um, which on the surface starts to sound a little bit like a franchise model, but it but it isn't necessarily a franchise model. So could you talk about what the what the wall printer business model is and how that works? Yeah. So we have two models. You either buy a printer, you buy a machine by itself, or you buy a machine and a territory. If you want to buy just a machine, and typically that's bought by a company that has its own established customer base. You know, it might be a general contractor, it might be a painter, it could be um, a flooring company, could be an interior decorator, somebody who's got a customer base, and they're going to mine those customers for additional revenue for something that might add to the services they already provide. But then our preferred business model, and about 80% of our customers today have gone with the territory model is you purchase a territory. It's not a franchise. The difference being we don't reach into your pocket for royalties. We don't make yourself call yourself the wall printer. Every one of our customer has their own company, whether they had an existing company or they're a startup and they create their own brand. It could be Des Moines wall printing, which by the way, doesn't exist. So anybody out there from Des Moines, you can still get captured the Des Moines market, but you, you come up with your own name, your own brand. We actually customize the printer with your contact information, email address, website, Facebook page, whatever you want, and your own artwork for your logo. And it becomes your business's machine with your branding. We do obligate you because we take the territory off the map and don't sell to anybody else within your territory. Uh, we obligate you to buy a couple more printers over the next two or three years, because as your business grows, you will need more printers to properly service that audience. Or when you have multiple walls to be printed in a place, you'd like to have more than one printer to do a job more quickly. But that model is based on population. So it starts at $10,000 for a 300,000 population, $25,000 for a million population. And that's a one-time only fee. Again, what separates us from a, from a franchise type of, and I have 15 years of franchising experience. So I kind of understand a, a little bit about the pros and the cons. And that was the reason why I wanted this business not to be a franchise. We do not charge royalties, as I mentioned. We don't set up people's Facebook pages. We don't have a 1-800 number. We don't provide the services. That's what our 
local people do. They market it the way they want. We do provide a lot of content and videos that they can use for their Facebook page, for their website, for their YouTube channels, but it's up to them to market locally to get business in their markets. We don't do that for them. They also get first right of refusal because when they see things printing, this isn't like a hamburger place or a pizza franchise or plumbing business that everybody sees what this is and they know what this is because there's hundreds of those types of business, if not thousands, sometimes hundreds just in a, in one general metropolitan market. But there are no wall printers. And so as a result of that, when people start seeing what they are and what they can do, they're going to want to be in that business too. So one of the benefits of owning a territory is that we give you a first right of refusal for any of the adjacent territories that you go ahead and get the first right to expand your territory before we'll sell to somebody else. That's Those are all the unique aspects of our territory business model and why we prefer it and why 80% of our customers also prefer it. Now, as we mentioned in the introduction, you're a serial entrepreneur. You've worked with a wide range of products. Uh, what was the biggest lesson that you learned from your past ventures that helped you start and grow the wall printer? You know, you have to, first of all, be solving a problem that exists. You know, one of the things I've learned early on to, to kind of answer your question is that if you have a product that's that really doesn't have some unique value to it, whether that's a service, a product, you know, I don't care whether you're providing, you know, legal consulting services, or whether you are a plumber or, or a dishwasher or a restaurant or whatever you are, you know, you have to be solving a problem that, that is genuine and that people find value to, and they will go ahead and buy that from you and pay for your services. You also want to be a trusted resource to people. So that even if what you're selling and servicing is not exactly what they want, you might point them in another direction because one day they may want something that you will provide. So one of the things I learned early on is that, uh, number one, you do your homework, you do your research. I, I was in the restaurant business in a past life. Uh, I had a very successful restaurant in New York um, that was uh, went for, in fact, it's still open today. I founded it in 1979. So 21, 41, 43 years later, it's still a thriving seafood steakhouse upstate New York. But after 12 years, I got out of that business. I moved to Florida. And without doing a lot of research, I opened up a restaurant that modeled my New York restaurant. Um, and in one year, I lost what I made in 12 years in New York. That was a learning experience about researching markets and understanding who your audience is going to be before you know jumping into something. I, I don't call those failures. I call them learning experiences. But as the saying goes, it's not how many times you fall down, it's how many you get up. And so I went on to other things and I found a niche in representing foreign companies' products, as I mentioned earlier, in the United States. I've represented a, an Austrian baby bottle manufacturer, an Australian self-service dog wash system, a Russian technology company with audio, video, and communications and navigation technologies, um, an Israeli media communications company. And again, bringing all those products to market in the United States. And I learned early on, I found the hats I like to wear and the ones I didn't like to wear. And uh, you can't be all things to all people. So, you know, you find what drives your passion. You find a product or the service that you can stand behind and that's quality and that delivers on the promises and expectations. And you move in that direction. Quick reminder for our listeners, um, if you want to hear more firsthand stories from real world business owners, you'll find dozens of interviews across industries on the Upflip YouTube channel. You can go to youtube.com slash Upflip to check that out. Paul, you, you mentioned some of the, some of maybe your learning experiences just now, and I'm curious, what are some common mistakes that you see people make when they open a new business and, and what maybe should they be doing instead? Well, I, I kind of alluded to that in my last response and that you do your homework. You know, you have to do your due diligence, not only on the company that you're working with, if you're buying a product, 
I expect my customers to, to look at the competitive products I outlined earlier. There are four other companies that make these types of machines, none of which have a presence here in the United States, which of course gives us a kind of a stranglehold on the market today. People could certainly buy a product and get it imported, probably buy a product much cheaper than ours. But again, doing that homework, finding out what does the product offer, doing your due diligence on your customers, um, not only your vendors and the products you want to sell or the service you want to provide or the software that you want to support, but the customers, you know, are these customers there? Are they looking for artwork on walls? To put art on walls, you can get a vinyl sticker, you can get somebody to hand paint something, you can buy a nice print or get an original piece of art and frame it and put it on a wall. You know, those are three or four that come off the top of my head. There aren't many more. So I found a market that I thought that there was plenty of opportunity. But that, to answer your question, is what you have to go through uh, to find out, do you, in fact, have a product that meets a need, um, that has an opportunity, has a market um, of sizable quantity and value to make it worth your while to invest, whether it be just your time or in a hard product? And if you have if you have done the research to to make sure that the the market is there, what then should you be doing to make sure you set yourself up not only for the business to have a customer base, but to also be able to not to to grow from where where you initially see the business starting out? How do you set yourself up from the beginning to grow revenue? So great, great question, Alex. So there's a transition process from what I just described in terms of doing the homework and trying to understanding your audience to really seeing. Who wants this? Who will make money and how will they make money? So you have to do your own preparation and discovery. I had the benefit. This wasn't a total greenfield operation. As I mentioned early on, there was one company, the company's products I represent um, and own, co-own. They have um, a track record. There were 500 companies out there. I went and I spent a year researching, do they have one wall printer, two wall printers, 10 wall printers in their market that they're servicing? Were they able to grow that market? Are they making money? How much are they charging? What are they doing you know, to promote the business and to make people aware of the technology in their region? So all of those questions, all of those items need to be addressed as checkboxes in the success path of, and growth path, to use your, your phrase, to grow the business in your market. So you know, we, we encourage people to you know, do the homework um, by promoting the wall printing service to their local audiences. And to do that is the same way we did it. Although we're selling the business opportunity, not the services, it's the same exact method by approaching it with the social media channels of Facebook and Instagram and YouTube channels and Reddit, TikTok, um, and our website and Google ads. Um, these are the vehicles of the trade, so to speak, to answer your question of getting it out there that there is such a thing as a wall printer, and this is what it does, letting people raise their hand and say, hey, that's interesting, I'd like to learn more. We get 150 inquiries every day, Alex, from that type of marketing that we do to introduce the wall printing and floor printing products to the American and South American and Canadian audiences. And 140 of those 150 inquiries we get every day, see, it's not a $100 desktop Hewlett Packard Canon Epson desktop printer, and then they disappear when they hear it's a $30,000 machine. But some subset of those people are people who understand a commercial quality piece of equipment that can serve as the basis for a business to generate much more revenue. Um, because the printer itself that 
prints images on walls is really still only one aspect of the revenue opportunities that a wall printing business has available to them. There's graphics design services. There's the painting and prepping and cleaning of a wall before you start. Is it a wall that's a 50-foot mural on the outside of a building where you have to erect scaffolding to put the machine on each level like a window washer does on a, on a skyscraper to wash the windows? You want to paint a 50-foot mural? Our machine only prints five to six feet at a time, so it will print a 50-foot mural by stitching images one on top of the other, but that's extra costs, extra revenue opportunities for our customer. So you have to research the market. You have to have the tools necessary to satisfy the market. You have to have people trained to be able to use our machine. Um, and all of these things are, are necessary. But the most important thing is to, is to introduce it, as you asked originally in this question, you know, to your market. And we recommend and we use social media channels so other people can go to trade shows you know, a, a home improvement show or other people can go to put billboards up and radio advertising, all sorts of things that we don't do um, that we encourage our customers to do to get the word out in their local market of the services they provide. Now, I do want to kind of ask you about about your customers. And you mentioned um, earlier that the, the Des Moines territory is available. So I guess we'll we'll take that as our case study, I guess. So if, so if you're a listener out in Des Moines, this is for you. Or if you're in one of the other places where territory is available, this is also for you. But we'll use Des Moines as the example. If somebody inquires from Des Moines and says, hey, I'm, I'm interested, what should they be thinking about as the, the typical startup budget for their new wall printing business? And is it is it something available to somebody who might have limited financial resources available? Well, businesses don't necessarily succeed or fail because of the capital investment, but many businesses and service businesses do warrant a level of capital investment. So expectations go both ways. We have expectations of a customer who knows how to grow a business, how to market it, how to follow our instructions. Again, we're not a franchise. We are not giving a whole prepackaged product to somebody with a well-known name brand, with a formula, with a website, with marketing tools. We are guiding them. We are supporting them with content to introduce this to market. But the $30,000 that somebody's going to pay for a machine is only the tip of the iceberg, to be honest. They have to have a vehicle to transport this machine to somebody's wall to print on. They have to feed their family. They have to have money for their rent, whether it be even if they're using a part of their home or a garage, provided it's a heated garage or air-conditioned garage, depending on their climate and locale, um, because these machines and the inks used in these machines need to be stored and kept at room temperature. Even though you can print in uh, from freezing to sweltering heat, you still need to prep things properly, including the machines themselves. And so all of those considerations are necessary. And then you've got insurance, you've got your phone expenses, you've got all the normal expenses, legal accounting, that any business has. Now, do we have a five-year projection that we can give to people so that they can see all these potential investment areas that they need to consider for where their capital is going to start a wall printing business? Yes, we can offer that to you. But they're just that because some of our customers will take this on as a, a one-person shop kind of business. Some people will see the opportunities to have three, four, five, ten wall printers out there in their market and want to hire people to work those printers, and they want to serve just marketing and growing it and introducing it. So it, it depends on what their business model is more so than ours. Our business model is to make sure you've got a quality machine that works for you day in and day out, and that you have the supplies, parts, and inks that will keep that machine making money for you. But what they charge for their services, what they have to invest in the resources to be successful, it basically boils down to all those buckets I've just described. 
And, and I can't put a real dollar figure on that. Um, as you know, some businesses may say you need between $30,000 for the machine and $200,000 for everything else that might go along with it. Somewhere in between those two numbers is the right number for your market and, and machine. And what about the the ongoing costs of, of operating the business and how does that translate to what somebody might be expecting uh, from a profit margin perspective? Well, besides marketing, which is probably should be your single biggest investment and the vehicle cost to be able to transport the machine, which is a 150 pound machine that can be transported in anything from an SUV to a van to a pickup truck or any other kind of a trailer type of a vehicle. So you have your vehicle expenses and the ongoing expenses of that. Um, you have your inks primarily from us. It's the inks. Everything you need to start the business from the products perspective and parts and accessories are included in your printer package, so to speak, that we deliver to you. There's nothing you would need except for the vehicle to transport the machine, the place to house it, and also whether that be an existing office or a storage bin or something like that. You can uh, consider that as an additional requirement. Inks are readily available from us. We manufacture our own inks. I've got two factories in Kansas and in Florida that manufacture inks. You must buy inks from us. So that's an ongoing um, expectation is that the more business you do, the more inks you will buy. Um, That's recurring revenue for us. And also it dictates the fact that you are making money. If you need more inks, that's a good thing. But we know our inks are formulated for our machine to maintain your warranty. You buy inks from us. We don't gouge our customers on the price of inks, but we know that our machines will work for you day in and day out if you use the proper inks in them, which are inks provided by us. But that really, you know, is what it comes down to. All the parts that might be what we call consumable parts that might go in a couple of months or in a year, those are included with the machine when you get it. But there are some components that have a life expectancy of a couple of years that may cost a thousand to two thousand dollars to re place after they wear. And so there are some parts that are not covered under warranty, like the print heads, which are the single most expensive components of the machine, cost about $1,225 to replace one if you damage them. But they're like batteries and tires on cars that with proper maintenance, they should last about two years. Our printers typically charge $20 per square foot or more for the printing services. So there's plenty of margin when you actually run the numbers, uh, which is an easy thing to do. You take a five by eight print, for example, 40 square feet, $20 a square foot, that's $800 worth of revenue. That 40 square foot print has about $15 worth of ink in it. Takes about two hours to print because our printers print at about 15 to 20 square feet per hour. And if you want to say an hour to go to that customer site, an hour to go away, an hour to set it up. So maybe five hours of labor at $20 an hour, $100 for labor costs, $15 for ink costs, $115. I tell my customers, double that. Make it $250, your costs, to do that 5 by 8 print because I say double it because you should always try to practice the print first. And I'm way over on expenses and probably very low on revenue, which is the way I like to be, so that everybody's expectations are met or exceeded. But for $250 worth of expenses and getting back $800 for 40 square feet times $20 a square foot, most of our customers are charging $25 or $30 a square foot. And then there's the extra revenue of site prep, graphics design work, other things that you can make money on, scaffold rentals, things like that, depending on the, the type of image and where you're printing and how you're printing it. So it's a very high margin business. Great. That's 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 great news for our Des Moinesian uh, business owner here. Um, yes, it and, is. And one la- one last question for them is that is the target customer for them mostly other businesses? Like, is it mostly a B two B kind of business, or is there a residential demand for wall printing? So another really great question, Alex. 
And so our customers really fall into two buckets. And the two buckets I described earlier, they have an existing business or it's a startup kind of opportunity. So those, if you look in those two buckets, now it's a question of who do you want to market to? If our customer is an existing painting company and that painting contractor goes into residential only, paints the walls eggshell white, but gets to learn that there's two children. One of them is into dance. One of them is into sports. And one of the parents is into hockey and one's into soccer or whatever else. Um, One is into dogs. And these are the kind of images that they might want on their walls in their home. Now they've got that path to extra revenue for that customer that just hired them to be the painter of those walls in their home. Just as easily, that can translate to somebody with a commercial clientele, a restaurant. They go in and they, they or even somebody who does restaurant equipment and restaurant repairs may see that they want, a, a, a when they learn the customer, that they want the a picture of Italy on the wall or somebody with a um, in a dentist's office want a big tooth on the wall. If their customers are commercial, you can find ways to work in those audiences. Schools, hospitals, medical offices, airports, event spaces. Once again, there's no limit to the number of walls that are out there. So if you want to focus on commercial, that's where your marketing should go. If those are your existing customers, that's who you should try to leverage for referrals and for expanded revenue. But there's nothing about the wall printer or the wall printing business that targets you to any one audience. It's really up to you. So this is going to bring us to a section of our show we call our Fan Blitz Questions. These come from our YouTube community. Again, you can join the the community over on YouTube. If you go to youtube.com slash upflip, join the community and you can pose questions to future podcast guests. Paul, we're going to try and get through six questions in about 90 seconds here. Okay. Uh, so we're, we're coming fast and furious. Here we go. Uh, first, would you do business with yourself if you were a customer? Yes. I sleep very well at night. I'm very transparent. I set expectations appropriately. So if that matches your needs, both financial and for a business, you will do well by talking to me and I would do well by talking to me. What's the best part of being an entrepreneur? I guess the freedom. If you're willing to take a risk as as well as the responsibility, your success is your own. Uh, Your failure may be driven by outside forces, but you you live and breathe by your own passion and your own direction. It takes a certain type of person to want to do that. There's a great value to people who want to work with stability and less risk, but those that are willing to see the opportunity for something innovative, maybe the entrepreneurial path is right for you. Flip side of that, what's the worst part about being an entrepreneur? <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that with an example that I tell everybody that talks about the wall printing business. I said, if you're in Des Moines and you want to be the Des Moines wall printer, the good news is you're going to be the first wall printer in Des Moines. The bad news is you're going to be the first wall printer in Des Moines. So <laughs> so it's really up to you to market it, to do it, to make that commitment. And that's the same as the life of an entrepreneur. You know, you rise and fall based on what you've done. What's the biggest purchase you've ever made? The rights to be able to sell wall printers. I've had, well, yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe my restaurant business was my biggest purchase and biggest investment. But I've spent more on this business than I have in my home, and I've got a pretty nice home. Um, So I'd say the wall printing business. Last one here. Uh, If you could sell your product or service to one celebrity, who would it be? Well, that's an easy one because that's going on right now. Our wall printer was was acquired by Louis Vuitton for the purpose of an exhibition they have going on right now until December 31st. It's a four-month pop-up of sorts in the old Barney's New York building on Madison Avenue um, and 61st Street. And our printer is printing day and night in one of the windows at the entrance to this exhibit, which is a beautiful exhibit celebrating 200 years of Louis Vuitton and their products. And 
Uh, it's a it's a wonderful exposition, and they selected a wall printer to print images of artwork and creativity because it's really all about the creative process and, and showing 200 Louis Vuitton trunks dressed up by celebrities and artists and visionaries. And it, I just got back from New York, and it was an absolute um, wonderful experience, not only for my wall printer, but they're doing a really good thing there. So that's I, I've, I've realized that dream of having a celebrity use our products. Incredible, incredible stuff. Uh, that is going to do it for our Fan Blitz questions. Again, those come from our YouTube community. You can go to youtube.com slash upflip, join the community and post questions to future podcast guests. Paul, just a few more questions from me. Uh, can you talk to me about the value of mentorship for a new entrepreneur and how somebody might be able to connect with a mentor if they don't have one? Well, mentoring, and, and I'm a mentor at UNCW, uh, which is the University of North Carolina here in Wilmington. It's a large university, 16,000 students, and it has a very big entrepreneurial program within the Cameron School of Business. And there's a center that's actually, a, I mean, a physical building that's called the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. And they put out when it started about 10 years ago, I was lucky enough to be here at that time. I've been in Wilmington about 12 years now. And they built this for the express purpose of offering up services to both faculty, staff, and also the community who wanted to get into business or had an idea, product, or service that they thought had value to become a business, but they needed some kind of guidance. They, it might've been legal. It might've been you know, a patent. It might've been marketing. It might've been accounting, financial. It might've been some, who, are their, who should their customers be? A lot of the questions you've asked, Alex, of what goes into a business. And so they developed this program there and they put out, they solicited people who had some level of experience wearing certain of those hats would be willing to give back or devote some volunteer time. And then they put out notice to, to the community in Wilmington here. And this goes on in a lot of other places, you know, Charleston, New York, probably even Des Moines and uh, other metropolitan areas that have co-work spaces and other entrepreneurial resources. But a mentor, of which I'm proud to be one, is somebody who has some level of experience um, that can share that with other people and guide them to what they might need to satisfy the needs of their idea, their business. And so it's a it's a it's wonderful programs that you could probably find in your audience's local community. There's SBTDC, which is the Small Business Technology Development Corporation. That's a federal program. SCORE is a federal program where you can get advice from people. And then there's a lot of things like this in your community, I mean, co-work space incubators, they call them sometimes for um, people to share ideas, get ideas, get guidance, get support, get help, get direction. You mentioned um, a, a couple of times your, kind of your success using using social media as a way to kind of get the, the word out about about the wall printers. Do you think that's the best way to build brand awareness for a new business or are there other strategies that have worked well for you as well? Well, you know, you, you play the hand that's dealt. And so back 30 years or, or even less, you know, and I'll use an example like going to buy a car. When you went to buy a car, you had an idea, maybe what you wanted. You went to the car dealership. You took a test drive. You negotiated the heck out of back and forth with the dealer before you bought a car um, and drove off the, the lot with it, the one that you wanted. You know, nowadays, the buying process is one that you go online, um, you see the different cars, you can pick the color you want, you can negotiate the deal you want, um, you can do everything except the test drive. But the, the deal is pretty much done by the time you walk into that dealership and drive off with the car that you want. I, I call it, I actually have a, a workshop, a, a, a lecture, if you will, but it's more interactive than than the term lecture. With the university, I, I teach a class called the new rules of selling, where that, that old way of that old interaction, where most of it was, was selling 
to somebody something. You know, now with the social media aspects that are available to us, it's really become all about the marketing. Everything is really built into the marketing cycles. And so using social media, I think, is because everybody's got their mobile device. Everybody's got Internet access for the most part. You have access to these types of resources to be able to do the research, do your homework and find the different products and find the best deals on those products. And then just it remains to be seen by finding the relationship that you want. Nothing, though, I will say replaces relationships, you know, trusted resources, people you feel good about doing business with face to face is still a a really and should always be a very integral part of purchasing and researching what it is you want and who you want to do business with and what product or service you want to buy. But a lot of the initial footwork can be done through social media. And from a business perspective, introducing a product to somebody, after all, three years ago, nobody knew in the United States or Canada or South America what a vertical printing machine was. And now we have millions of people aware, literally millions aware of what the wall printing machine is, what vertical printing, the generic term for this is. Uh, now it's just a question of people who have to decide, do they want to do business with Paul Barron? Do they want to do business with the wall printer, my company? But it started with social media, getting the word out. It was the fastest, easiest, cheapest, least expensive way to let people become aware of something that they never knew about. So much of the that relationship building also kind of falls under the customer service umbrella. So I'm just curious what advice you might have for a small business to provide exceptional customer service to their to their customers and potential customers. In the 10 months it took, and I mentioned this earlier, we didn't sell our first wall printer. We started the business being the, not the, well, it had nothing to do with me being bright or not so bright. Uh, it's just circumstances. COVID started, as we all know, January of 2020 and pretty much shut down the world and, and changed the way that we lived our day-to-day lives, certainly, with with everything that we're all fully aware of and still goes on today. But for my business, I was 10 months with a business that had hundreds of thousands of dollars invested in products and a warehouse. and And here I sat, what do I do with this when nobody knows what it is and nobody's coming to Wilmington, North Carolina to visit with me and see this and kick the tires, so to speak, to use the core analogy, and people were being laid off all over the place? Well, there I was fully committed to this. Maybe I was going to my wife. She said I should have been fully committed, but I was committed to this business. And so where everybody was laying people off, I started hiring people. And the first people I hired was the social media and marketing manager, who was actually a student of mine, who was uh, not a student of mine. He was a student at UNCW, who was an intern of mine in, in prior businesses, who really knew his stuff with video production and, and uh, social media and advertising. And so he was my first hire to get the word out, as I've described in this conversation. But my second, third, fourth, and fifth hire were technical support people people customer service, people who would learn how to use these machines, learn what they could do, what they couldn't do, how to use them. Because when the light at the end of that COVID tunnel would occur, as I had hoped it would, I didn't know that it was going to take 10 months to August before I, or eight months to August before I got my first sale. But even when I got my first sale, and then it was another uh, period of time to deliver that machine, train the people, and then support them in their quest to start a business using these machines. So there's there's very little more important for for growth of a business than customer satisfaction. And again, back to the social media aspects of things these days, you know, being able to get good referrals, good testimonials, that's something that that's gold to a business. And so that's why you get all these surveys, you know, after you have a phone call or, or a customer visit with somebody or a service person comes and visits you at your home or business. They all want you to, to do the customer service survey to be able to use that not only for their own their own benefit, 
to improve customer service constantly, which you hope that they will do, but also to let other people know that that your the experience working with your company is can be a positive one. And so that that's where I invested most of my human capital resources was in the customer service, customer support, technical training aspects to be able to resolve any issues that my customers might have. You mentioned building out that team. So I'm curious about how you find and attract high quality employees. And, and I'm also curious if that um, has been more of a challenge recently than it, than it has been in the past. I've been blessed with having not only a company that can afford good talent, but rewards good talent. And so I've retained um, everybody that started with me is still working for me. I've only lost two people, one because it wasn't the right position for them, one because they moved out of the area in the three years we've been open. And I built a team that's very cooperative and collaborative with one another. And again, having a culture that people can thrive in, that they can reach their financial and personal dreams is important for retaining good ta- good talent, communications, um, you know, transparency between people and between what you're trying to accomplish, communicating your values and your vision to people and finding people who can support that. You know, that's that's important. And now, how did I find them? You know, I started with a couple of good people. We got some referrals. I basically have assessed the talents of, of people when they came on. Ultimately, you know, you don't know until people actually do the jobs. So I think I was unusually blessed by having people who after the interview process, you know, actually came through and met my expectations and the business itself met theirs. But sometimes, you know, it's you're going it's going to be hit and miss to some extent with a job and the company and the situation, the product service may not be what they expected. You know, you try to disclose as much information as possible, just as I'm trying to disclose here in this conversation with you and with your audience. I'm sure I'll leave a lot of things unanswered that pertain to specific individuals and what their needs are driving them to start a business or explore a business, whether it be mine or somebody else's. But, uh, you know, that's important for employee retention and identification. You know, nothing replaces honesty and openness, transparency, and then letting their performance speak for their future growth within this organization and our ability to give them an environment that helps that growth. Every uh, business owner and entrepreneur has a, f- a few losses amongst the wins, uh, and you know, it, particularly I'm thinking about the the restaurant in Florida that you you've made mention of. Um, I'm curious what advice you have for dealing with mistakes and failures in business, and and how do you recover from those low points? Well, you don't recover from them; you just move through. You pivot and you take what you can. That might be a learning experience. For me, I got out of the restaurant business and I went back to my roots, which were which was technology and software. And that's when I started representing other companies' products because the hats that I knew that I still wore very well were those customer relations. None of my customers faulted me for the failure of that restaurant or the closing of that, that restaurant. They were only disappointed because it was a wonderful restaurant that I was very proud of. There are other extenuating circumstances, the market being one, partnership, motivation, and investment being another. But what what you do is you move on, you get up, you dust yourself off, and you move forward. I've always been an optimist. I've always been very positive. Ultimately, through it all, if you think of yourself as an entrepreneur or business owner, you must have confidence in yourself as much as the business you're trying to create or product you're looking to buy or service you're looking to offer. You must have confidence in yourself. I've never lacked that. Maybe it hasn't always served me well, um, but I think 99% of the time it has. What's the number one piece of advice that you would give to someone who wants to start a business but isn't sure if they're ready? Do your homework. As I mentioned repeatedly in this conversation, do your homework on yourself, 
what are your expectations? What are your resources? Uh, what is the opportunity? You know, get yourself behind what you want to do or get yourself well informed enough to know that what you thought you wanted to do maybe not as maybe is not the best thing to do right now. Or maybe you need to go work for somebody doing that. And your investigation of your idea or opportunity will lead you in a, in a, lead you to know that there's some things you don't know. I know there's a lot I don't know. You know, sometimes I don't know what I don't know, but I try to put myself in position or surround myself with people who do um, that will let me know whether I'm on the right track or not on the right track. If you could pick the one thing that people take away from our conversation today, what would it be? Yeah, this Paul sounds like a nice guy. <laughs> let, <laughs> let that be the one takeaway. Um, and if uh, and if and, and I take away from that, if you ever have an idea um, that you think you want somebody to sound it by, um, you know, to uh, run it by, um, to hear somebody else's perspective. You know, nobody should ever do anything by themselves, I think, without getting input from others who either have been there, done that, or uh, can offer you that you trust uh, that can offer you some kind of guidance or direction or input, even if they have no clue what you're talking about with your idea for a software application or a business idea or whatever, you know, get people's input anyway. And, uh, you know, if you're going to take away one thing, you know, you have the opportunity to reach out to people. Um, and if you want to reach out to me, you know, go look me up on LinkedIn and connect with me. I'm happy to talk to anybody about, about anything that might serve them. Uh, you never, you never know less by speaking to somebody or interacting with somebody as if you didn't do it at all. So don't be afraid to to get out there and talk to people. Hopefully that's why your audience is listening to us today, um, is that they weren't afraid to spend an hour of their lives that they'll probably never get back, but at least that maybe they spent some worthwhile moments and heard something that might be worthwhile to them. What's your favorite business book and why? My favorite business book is not a business book. My favorite business book is everything I ever needed to know I learned in kindergarten. It's a short book, tells you the basics of life and business and anything else that you do. Play nice with others, take a nap every day, do unto others as you would have others do unto do unto you. And it's a, it's a short book, but worth reading and worth living by its principles. You can get lots of business books that'll tell you how to grow from here, here to there, how to double your business, how to pick choose customers, vendors, partners, and all that kind of stuff. Um, learn from the successes or failures of other people. But you have to live a good life. If you do that, then you treat other people honestly and well. You'll not only live your life to your satisfaction, but you may actually make some money along the way by finding a path that works for you and others too. Paul, where can people learn more about you and The Wall Printer USA? So if you want to learn something about The Wall Printer, go to our website, thewallprinter.com. Spend 15 to 30 seconds there, a lot less than you've spent on this call. Watch a video. You'll see exactly what The Wall Printer does. And if you want to actually learn more about The Wall Printer as a business, there's a simple form on the contact page. Fill out. We'll get in touch with you. We'll send you information. We can set up a, a Zoom call or a telephone call, schedule a call easily enough. You'll get all the way to do that by going to thewallprinter.com. And then if you just want to connect with me, as I mentioned previously in this conversation a few moments ago, go to LinkedIn and just Google Paul Barron. I guess it's not Googling, just search for Paul Barron. You'll find me and uh, you can see the whole sorted lengthy past of my 71 years, all spelled out from my kindergarten report card right through to what I'm doing today at the wall printer. It's all there. I'm very transparent and very happy to talk to people and meet people that can learn from me and that I can learn from. That is going to do it for this episode of the Upflip podcast. A reminder to our listeners that you can find more advice on how to start a business at the Upflip hub and on our blog, upflip.com slash blog. Paul Barron of The Wall Printer, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it, Alex. I enjoyed it myself. 